This is the Seafair Investor Podcast, bringing you the tides of investing and personal finance from to millennial seafarers and alike. I'm your host, Soshin, a full-time seafarer, value investor, and a personal finance enthusiast. Welcome to episode 19. Today, I will have another fantastic guest in this episode. My guest today is William Kabangan, CEO of AAA Equities, a retail stock brokerage firm in the Philippines. Just for a short context, a retail stock brokerage firm act like a middleman that connects the buyers and the sellers of stocks. It's a sort of a marketplace for the stock market, much like how call financial is, if anyone is familiar with it listening. And William Cabangon graduated in the Wharton Business School of Pennsylvania and worked afterwards in the sales and trading division of Jewish Bank, covering foreign exchange derivatives in London and NYC. Our conversation is such an awesome way to learn into the macroeconomics of the Philippines as he talks about how our country is still in a relatively better place than the other countries in our region. We also talk a lot on personal finance and investing as such like his opinion on if Filipino minimum wage earners should invest in the stock market. Anyway, William has been really kind and generous in answering my questions, and I am sure anyone listening to this will learn more than a thing or two. So, without further ado, let's go to my conversation with William Cabangon. William Cabangon, President of AAA Southeast Equities, welcome to the Seafair Investor Podcast. I'm Really excited and looking forward to having this interview or conversation rather with you because it's not every day I get the chance to talk to a president of a company and much less a stock brokerage firm, which is pretty not common. <laughs> but uh, I want to begin by asking a serious, no, no, by asking a curious question before we delve into the investing and such. So. How often do people mistake you to be, you know, related to the singer-songwriter Noel Cabangon? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sosh, and thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, that is actually a more common misconception than you would think. It's probably <laughs> one of the first things people always ask me when they meet me. So I, I made it clear to put it on my Twitter bio that, that we're not related. Yeah, I saw that. So how do you, like... Uh you know, politely, just politely tell them that, no. <laughs> well, I, I usually just try and sing a little bit and it, then it becomes very <laughs> obvious that we're not related. Yes. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, so we can just uh, transition a bit. But it's kind of a fun uh, uh, experience, actually. Um, for the first uh, question that I want to ask is, can you talk about your journey into becoming a president of a stock brokerage firm at such a young age? <laughs> and was being in the finance field a passion of yours from the start? Yeah, actually, my personal sort of career journey uh, was not one that I expected to take. To be honest with you, 
you know, right out of college, I got into the finance industry. And to be totally honest, I, I just did it because it paid really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think I would have sort of any sort of passion for it or any sort of interest. But over time, you know, I learned that it was so intellectually interesting of a field, right? Because in mm-hmm. so many ways, you're always thinking about not just finance, but, you know, economics, politics, all these different things in the world that, you know, you end up, at least I ended up appreciating sort of the world that we live in a bit more. Um, now, I my first job really, my first full-time job was as a trader for a large European bank. Uh, I was trading mainly uh, foreign exchange derivatives for them out of their New York and London offices. Um, so I figured out from, th- from that job that I really loved mm-hmm. markets, but I really hated the the office politics and really sort of the the kissing ass of it all, right? So I I ended up quitting that job and trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I moved back to Manila and I thought, what can I do as a as someone who loves markets but hates dealing with sort of all office politics and all and you know all all those other things that I hated? I actually first tried you know. Day trading. Ooh. Uh, that's something that I tried. I, I, I quickly found out that I wasn't that good. So I, I eventually stopped doing that. And I think I naturally found myself to setting up an online brokerage because I think that fit my personality exactly, right? Mm-hmm. If it's an online brokerage, then it has everything to do with markets mm-hmm. and, and you're just dealing with computers. So if you're an introvert like me, who loves markets, it, it, it essentially was the perfect business and the perfect job. So I think that's how I ended up in this seat that I'm in now. So it's kind of, <laughs> you did some soul searching after that uh, uh, stint in your um, trading in the London and New York Stock Exchange. And and of course, um, uh, as part of my you know uh, research about you, I was browsing through your LinkedIn profile and one particular information perked my curiosity, and that is you perhaps did an internship before in the Global Bond Fund of PIMCO, which is founded by the now infamous <laughs> Bill Gross, aka the Bond King. It's the reason really why perked my interest. So in regards to this, I want to ask how's the experience there for, for a short while, and knowing that you're dealing with bonds at that time, how come you settled with doing equities instead now? Yeah, you know, thanks for asking that question. Uh, so PIMCO is a sort of $2 trillion asset manager based in California. So I, I did work in their Newport Beach, California office as my sort of first internship and my first taste of the finance world. <laughs> uh, that firm really was something special. And I think it was both humbling uh and sort of an exciting experience. Humbling because I met these portfolio managers who were managing billions and trillions of dollars. And they weren't your typical sort of finance guys. All these guys that I met were former astrophysicists, former sort of mathematicians, 
really sort of genius people. And it was at that moment when I realized sort of who you're playing this game against, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think oftentimes as an investor, you never know who's on the other side of the screen, right? You're just sending and receiving orders. Mm-hmm. But it was that experience that showed me like, wow, there's some real brain power here and some real like technology at work that, you know, it's going to be hard to compete here against this level of person. So I felt really lucky to be working with them. Now, it also sort of gave me my first taste of finance. And, and you mentioned bonds. Yeah. Uh, I think people look at bonds and it's the most boring sort of yeah. asset class <laughs> yeah. that you could invest yes. in, right? Yeah. 1%, 2% a year. But you don't realize that bonds, particularly U.S. treasuries, right? They're the biggest market in the world. I think U.S. treasuries at the, at, at, at the open do more volume than the whole New York Stock Exchange the whole day. Wow. Right? That's, That's how much bigger the... That's how much bigger the the bond market is. It it sort of makes it, it makes the volumes of the New York Stock Exchange look irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're dealing with that amount of money, right, trillions of dollars, right, a point one percent change, you know, can can really can move markets. matter on yeah. a dollar level. Yeah, that's right. So it you know dealing with the largest and deepest market as my first job. I think gave me a really good core understanding of markets in general, a good foundation to build it off of. And I think I, I slowly graduated from bonds into foreign exchange and now in my seat in sort of here in Philippine equities, which is the total opposite of, of US bonds, right? It's much less liquid. It's a much more niche product. But yeah. I think it was an, an important step to take for me as far as understanding what moves markets. Did the experience there in Pimco, you know, led you to building AAA equities right now, or it it kind of inspired you? Well, it it ins- it inspired me in the sense that it gave me, um, it gave me that foundational interest in finance. But as far as why I started AAA, you know, I was sort of in the as you said earlier, I was in the <laughs> middle of soul searching. I was unemployed, and. What inspired me was I took a look at the Philippines and I saw, you know, we have an expanding middle and upper middle class, you know, people who have money to invest. And then I sort of looked at what was available in terms of online investing and, and thought that it was a bit lacking. Um, so I saw that as, as an opportunity to sort of try and introduce something different to the online investing space. And luckily enough, it I'd like to think it's sort of worked out. Um, so hopefully it continues to work out, although markets right now, uh, June 29th, 2022, they're not very good. No. <laughs> but uh, in, in relation to your, you know, you starting a equities uh, firm in the Philippines in a population where I'm not sure wh- which, what's the recent data, only, I guess, around 6% of the population have stocks. So how do you how do you penetrate that kind of niche that like this presumption that people think that the stock market here in the Philippines is kind of rigged to to invest <laughs> it's like always working against them so how do you kind of you know convince people to think that the stock market is is not rigged yeah so 
to correct you on your first point, I think I think less than one percent of the population is invested in the stock market. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> last I checked, there's there's less than a million uh, PSE stock market accounts for you know a population that's over a hundred million. So the math just works out to less than one percent. Mm-hmm. Um, that's your question about stock market being rigged. Uh, that's a question that I receive quite often, and the problem with that question is people often mean different things when they mean rigged. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people, when they say stock markets are rigged, it's because they invested and they lost money. I think you and I can both agree that just because stocks go down doesn't mean the market's rigged. No. no. Uh, or just just or just because you uh, subscribe to an IPO with a stabilization fund and the fund <laughs> doesn't buy back your shares, it's suddenly rigged too. Yes. I mean... Yeah, it's not their see. job to bail you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if if your definition of rigged is you know illegal activities, right, fraud, market manipulation, those sorts of things, th- the news that I'm going to tell you is that exists in every single market in the world, right? Bad people exist in every market, whether you're dealing mm-hmm. with Philippine stocks, U.S. stocks. Crypto, right? We've seen stuff blow up there too. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact, but the good news there is you can sidestep a lot of that, right? I I think your risk of becoming a victim to these shady activities increases the more you trade sort of illiquid micro cap assets, right? And that goes for you know U.S. penny stocks, Philippine penny stocks, shit coins, whatever. <laughs> I mean, your your risk of getting sort of fleeced by bad actors substantially increases when you deal with those stocks. So if if you're concerned that, you know, the market's rigged, well, maybe certain assets are, but you can just avoid those, right? And all it takes is a little bit of common sense. You avoid shell companies with no underlying operations. You You avoid companies that you've never heard of and you know are, are are releasing all these press state press releases saying you're going to change the world uh, I know, build I an know app that. that sounds too good to be true yeah I mean, right yeah. i mean a little bit of common sense goes a long way in this in, the, in this industry that we're in so i guess that's the good news i also think that it's more of like a lack of financial literacy that is you know prevalent in our population that they don't really kind of understand how the stock market works because they usually just view it as something to gamble i mean yeah of course investing is is gambling in a way but they it's it's more of like a lack of financial literacy and i just want to ask if um if triple a equities you know have have been like doing also this part of in part of programs to to you know spread the financial literacies in to Filipinos because because um it's kind of a win-win situation because if more Filipinos are aware how really the stock market works it's uh, good for both parties <laughs> yeah absolutely i think financial literacy is one of sort of those key things that our industry needs to really move investing forward because because i do agree with you that there's a lot of misinformation floating around there about investing in general. Uh, 
I personally try my best to sort of to, to push the financial the financial literacy by you know doing podcasts and doing TV interviews and doing you know talks for colleges mm-hmm. and all all these different events that you know uh, I'm lucky enough to be invited to. I, I try my best to to set the the record straight. Um, but we as a company, you know, we we also do things like in, like sponsor student groups. Uh, we, we we try our best these days to conduct events online that can teach at least newer people a, a bit more, at least the basics about about investing. But I do think we have a long way to go. Uh, not just our company by itself, but I think you know both the whole industry. And I think to a large extent, the government too, uh, we do have big steps to make in, in terms of financial literacy. Yeah, I, I really agree. It's, it's, a, it's a long way ahead. <laughs> if, we're, if we compare to the US, most of their households, their own stocks. But yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic, actually. <laughs> so now moving on to the topic, which I have not much um, circled competence. And it's because I'm, I'm partly more of a um, bottoms-up uh, investor. I, I like uh, studying individual businesses instead more than the economy. But <laughs> it's not disregarding economy, of course. But And and, and this topic is um, dealing with macroeconomics, which I know you're an expert, <laughs> as seeing you talk a lot in uh, ANC. So can you share about what you think on the current economic environment here in the philippines you know we, we, the common theme is like inflation is rising you know interest rates are also beginning to rise here in the ph and most especially is the most obvious is oil prices have already doubled <laughs> compared a few months ago yeah so i think my my background as someone who traded government bonds and and currencies I just naturally trended more towards macro and trading things from a more top-down perspective, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you did sort of nail it that the prevailing theme right now is inflation. But let's focus on the Philippines for one second, mm-hmm. right? There's there's the good and the bad and the ugly, as I like to call it. <laughs> uh, the, the good part about Philippine macro in general is that we're doing much better than the Western world. And I like to use the U.S. as a benchmark just because they're the center of the financial world, mm-hmm. right? We we have higher GDP growth than they do, lower inflation, right? And that really goes for all of the Western world. We, we surely have a better performing currency than than the Japanese yen too. Mm-hmm. So in, in that regard, we, we are in a better place relatively to the, to the developing world. Now, the bad is, even though we're in a better place than them, it's not a good place, yeah. right? Yeah, it doesn't Oil mean, prices, yeah. as you said, are, are still way higher. The, econo- the economy, at least anecdotally from what I see every day, isn't exactly booming. Um, and I guess the ugly of it all is that, which, which I imagine investors care about the most, is that even though we're doing better than... I would say most of the rest of the world, I don't think it's going to help our stock market at all. Uh, quite frankly, it doesn't really matter because if you take a step back and put your put yourself in the shoes 
of a giant international fund, mm-hmm. a fund like, let's say, BlackRock or PIMCO, yeah. right? If I've taken a 50, 60, 70% loss on my U.S. stock portfolio, let's say, on my U.S. tech stocks, <laughs> the FANGs, right? No, no portfolio manager in their right mind is going to go, okay, now that I'm down you know, 50% on the FANGs, it's time for me to double down on safe haven Filipino stocks, <laughs> no. right? No. Yeah. No one's thinking that even though our economy is doing well. The fact of the matter is, you know, our correlation with equity with global equities is still very high. So I think I think a a common fault of local analysts even is that they focus too much on the local economy when the, the in determining uh their outlook for our stock market i think it's the reverse I, I do believe that your outlook on the global economy matters way more in determining where where philippine stocks will go than filipino factors will it be more harder to kind of um make an outlook if you're considering more considering more data in the global economy than focusing on the local? Or you mean that because they're really correlated, it's much better to take it as a whole than in the local? Yeah, that's a good question. Now, I, I think that's that's a common issue that, that, that investors have, particularly newer investors, that, is that there's too much information out there to process, right? But there's really only one indicator that you need outside of Philippine mm-hmm. uh, factors, right? You can distill it down to one number and that's the S&P 500, <laughs> right? Why? How, how, how that's, so? That's, that, that's all you need to follow, right? The S&P was down 2% last night. Uh, our market's about to open. I can almost guarantee you we're going to open lower. Uh, it's, it's just the way the world works, right? Yeah. Risk assets are very, very highly correlated. When when U.S. stocks are down, chances are Bitcoin's down. Chances are Philippine stocks are down. Uh, it's just it's just sort of how how our world works. It's how it's how the math of it all plays out. Globalization, so, yes, <laughs> that's right. It's globalization at, at play in front of our eyes. So I do think that you need to at least be aware of what's happening in the biggest market, which is the U.S. Mm-hmm. So how example like if you're a newbie investor and you know you said that it's a you need to just look at one number which is yeah the the S and P five hundred how do you like approach this data like oh my god like uh, for seven days straight the S and P five hundred is down like for ten percent how do you approach that kind of <laughs> um you know experience well. I've been I've been vocally bearish on stocks in general <laughs> since February. I, I I went as far as going on TV and, and, and telling people to sell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I saw that. <laughs> so, in, in a perfect world, you're you're sitting on a lot of cash right now and sort of just waiting for things to play out, right? In my view, you know, you shouldn't really be buying stocks until the macro outlook starts looking better. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talk, I think, coming out soon that inflation has topped, right? Peak inflation has already happened. 
Now that might be true, right? Uh, here in the Philippines, our inflation I think is five percent, five and a half percent. We might see another month, maybe you know, nearing six percent, or 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 you know, if 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 analysts are right and and we've seen peak inflation, then we start seeing it come down. But I think the scenario that people are not ready for both in the Philippines and in the US and really all over the world is that even though we've seen peak inflation, we don't actually go down that much. Because I think right now, a lot of people are believing what the Fed, what the US Federal Reserve is saying. Mm-hmm. The US Federal Reserve is saying that by January or the first quarter of 2023, inflation will be back to 2% and there will be no recession and it's going to be this perfect soft landing where you know <laughs> it's back to business as usual. Uh, I tend not to believe that out that outlook, right? Uh, I don't think we're magically just going to sh- to end up with with gas prices, you know, down fifty percent in a matter of six months. I I just don't see how that how that's possible. Yeah, I agree uh, with you with on that. I'm, I mean, I, I work in the oil and gas industry, and and there's so much uh, wells in the North Sea that's still untapped and. Seeing the supply and demand now, it's uh, yeah, it's we are ways to go. Yeah, so I, th- I if if you're under if you're following that worldview, where we're gonna be seeing higher inflation uh, moving forward, you know, I think valuations in stocks across the board still have room to go lower. Now, I'm not particularly gonna make you know, a, <laughs> a price target on this podcast, but uh, I, I, I am still bearish and still publicly so. Mm-hmm. Just going to walk back a bit of what you said, but that you said that you're not seeing the bottom uh, anytime soon. How, how, how do you, you know, do a cha- the, this challenge that it, it's, it's always the saying that it's hard to find the market bottom. So how do you how do you try to bottom the market? Let's say that's a tough question because if we're gonna be talking about sort of timing the market bottom, mm, yeah, I've tr- I've tried several times over the course of my career, and I fail more often than not. What I have, so I I generally don't use technical analysis very much. Uh, I don't know whether I just suck at it. Or, or I don't know, but but lately I've been leaning on it a bit more as a way to sort of approach timing bottoms in a disciplined way, right? I, I want to make it clear, I don't think technical analysis is great at predicting the future. I don't think it's a good tool for you know for for seeing the future at all. But I do see it as a really good risk management tool at, at approaching trading from a in a very disciplined, almost robot-like way, I think that's its biggest biggest strength. So, you know, placing rules on yourself where, you know, you, you'll call a bottom once you see the 50-day moving average uh, <laughs> sloping upwards, right? You, you, you could sort of approach it that way, but but quickly sort of change your mind if, if it doesn't hold, um, 
and I, I think I think that that fits perfectly to what I said earlier, where yeah, you know, it might not be predicting the future, but at least you're approaching this from a very rules based, yeah, disciplined way. Yeah, because I, I I also think that it's mostly more on your psychology than you know than the market itself. You know how to um, be disciplined in doing risk management, and that's the hardest part actually, because we only know. It's our, it's ourselves. <laughs> That's a really hard part. Yeah, um, just gonna walk back also on the Philippine uh, macro, and just gonna ask questions that also I'm not sure I have a question <laughs> answers. But uh, what do you think with the rising interest rates gonna affect uh, Philippine economy in general? It's is it a good um, indicator or is uh, just like you know, uh, a stopgap measure that the BSP is doing. Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that is actually the biggest unknown we have here in the local market. Uh, the BSP is fighting the Fed, right? Mm. The Fed is aggressively hiking rates, and the BSP is saying, uh, "We'll hike a little bit, or <laughs> we won't hike at all." And you see that really with how the peso has been moving, right? The, the peso, as we're recording this, is at 55, right? It's it's the weakest it's been in many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's the market's way of telling the BSP that you guys need to hike or this thing's going to keep moving higher. Um, I don't know sort of how the BSP is going to approach this, right? Whether... whether the peso will cost them to to change gears because that pressure will only keep building mm-hmm. until they do a hard U-turn and say, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna raise rates aggressively." Um, quite frankly, it's it's very rare. I don't think we've ever seen a situation before where the U.S. Fed's Fed funds rate and the BSP rate. They're basically almost the same right now. There's very little spread between the two, mm, which is, yeah. I think this. I think this is the narrowest spread it's been ever. Uh, I don't that with that in mind. You know, if I were, if you were to tell me, oh, will next month the BSP is gonna raise one hundred basis points, right? Unexpected. They're gonna raise it a lot. Wow. <laughs> I I honestly don't know whether the stock market will take that as a negative or as a positive, right? Because I think, you know, lazily, you can just say, oh, low rates are better for stocks, right? So the BSP raising rates will be bad for the stock market. But if the BSP were to sort of step in and say, we're going to defend the peso uh, and and raise rates, I I don't think it's that straightforward where stocks will go down. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to me that, you know, it's it's a really difficult thing for me to think through uh as far as first off what what the bsp is going to do and and how the market will react but uh, before we um move on more um for our um new investors that is most likely listening to this uh, podcast can you define um the relationships of you know the interest rates and the uh, and the stock market. Why? Why is it so? Being always being said in the news that if interest rates is rising, you know the stock market will take a hit. 
maybe you can bit give color what what it really means what's the relationship between them yeah you know so in in university in textbooks you know mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll give you that explanation just so it's not too controversial <laughs> um, when we look at when we look at stocks right stocks are really just you know the manifestation of a company right so in a company if you look at its financials really is just a stream of profits that it makes over the course of its corporate life right so let's say a company makes paper and makes let's say 100 million pesos every year right now if rates let's in a simple world where interest rates are worth zero right mm-hmm. you you earn nothing by parking your money in the bank that 100 million pesos that the paper company earns every year is worth a lot right you're you're earning full on 100 100 million every single year now let's so so that means the the stock price of the paper company should be high now let's change the world right this is a world where interest rates are 20%. Oh, okay. Right. Really high interest rates. The same paper company earns 100 million every year. Now, why is this paper company worth less in this world? It's because I can either invest my money in this paper company that, you know, has operating risks that might catch on fire uh that might you know go bankrupt or i could just park my money in the bank and earn 20% a year right suddenly it's not a no brainer anymore right because in the previous world where rates were 0% you know well i'm not earning anything in the bank anyway so i might as well take this risk and invest in this company that earns as much money but now in a world where rates are super high 20% and it's guaranteed mm-hmm. suddenly you know unless i you know this is this paper company going to give me back 50% 100% probably not right it makes paper <laughs> right it's not very exciting so suddenly you know the 20% in the bank suddenly is so much more appealing to you as an investor and and that's why in a high interest rate world stock prices go down because it's just not as attractive uh, compared to the alternative yeah so so that's to just to summarize it's it's like interest rates um dictate what the bank rates are and if the if the stocks that you're buying does not give a higher rate of return than what the bank or you know bonds are returns then why bother with a riskier asset that's right so now on to the you know the curious questions from the <laughs> ph invest uh, discord that I am a part of um shout out to you guys if if you're listening to this <laughs> so the first one is being in a stock brokerage firm do you also you know do long term investing or trading stocks uh, the way of life for you because you're you're a trading firm so <laughs> so actually this is a misconception that the people have of sort of my role and how I operate triple a Uh I view AAA as a uh IT company first and a stock brokerage second. 
Mm. So my primary job every day is to make sure that the platforms are working smoothly, that customers' deposits and withdrawals are getting are being received and being paid out quickly, um, and that future features and future platform developments are being planned uh, and and are being delivered on time. Um, that actually makes up most of my day. Uh, as as far as trading goes, you know, I do a lot of that on a personal level, but also on a sort of managed funds level just for some clients. I imagine other brokers operate their firms differently, but as far as I'm as far as you know me and my company are concerned, uh, the sort of day trading and all that <laughs> stuff, all of that sort of takes a back seat because what we're concerned about primarily is our customers' experience. So in relation to that, I mean, how, if it's okay to ask, uh, how do you invest your own money? I mean, how do you, um, how do you handle your personal finance <laughs> being a CEO? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I, I, I have a, of course, a very large part of my portfolio invested uh, in the PSE. Although right now, full disclosure, I, it's, it's mostly sitting in cash right now as I wait for things to to play out. I don't particularly, as far as PSE stocks are concerned, I mainly invest in blue chips. Uh, back when I first started, I sort of tried trading the sort of mid caps and the micro caps. And I quickly found that, you know, it's, it's just a tough market to, to trade if you're a macro guy like me, just because they're so uncorrelated with with other assets, right? When you have a when when you have a micro cap that you know only trades, you know, fifty million pesos a day, it doesn't take a lot of money to to move that to, to move that market up and down five percent, right? The the PSE the PSEI could be down two percent, and that stock could be up twenty percent, <laughs> right? And for me personally, it's just hard for me to to trade something that's going up so much when the rest of the market is is down so is is down so much. So, I, you know, I I quickly found that you know it it was a bit too stressful for me, especially because I had my day job to worry about for mm-hmm. most of the day. So, yeah, I I I've, I've mostly these days I've been eyeing sort of REITs. And and the blue chips, as far as you know, mm-hmm. my my PSE portfolio is concerned. So you're more concentrated in the Philippines than, or do you do um, global investing abroad? Or yeah, uh, I think this is something that 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 people uh, sort of get get surprised by. So as far as like my personal portfolio is concerned, so I do have my my PSE part of my portfolio. I just recently started doing some angel ven- some angel slash venture type investing in in sort of smaller tech companies. Um, although I imagine you know that that that's not doing too well given this given this environment. <laughs> um, I also have U.S. stocks. I mean, I did used to live in and work in the U.S., so I do have some dollars there. But 
it's largely just deployed in you know passive funds mm, index funds, I, yeah. I i don't have that's right i don't particularly have the energy to you know stay up till four in the morning and watch this stuff so you know i take the path of less stress and just you know passively invest it and maybe hand it off to my kid uh <laughs> in the future uh i i also have a crypto portfolio um this catches people off guard. I'm a bit of a degen when it comes to crypto, just because it's such a small part of my of my overall portfolio that you know I I figured I just go for the riskiest stuff. Now it sometimes feels like gambling, but hey, like that's I guess that's what it feels like when you're investing in you know web three or web four <laughs> or whatever they're building now yeah i I really appreciate your honesty in <laughs> in answering the question and uh yeah i I want also to if if um we still have time but uh, I want to ask more on how do you do your own you know personal finance like does it make it different that you're 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 in a top management in a in a company, so how 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 does a you know not to cliche but how does a CEO handle his own personal finance? You know, do you handle it yourself or do you have you know accountants <laughs> to to handle it for you? I mean, as far as budgeting and spending, you know, my own personal money, um, it's you know I, I do it all myself. I don't think I've done it any differently now. So I, I'm 29 now. I don't think I do it that differently now as I did when I first was employed when I was, you know, 21. I live a pretty simple life, so I'm I'm not really burning cash on a regular basis. I actually end up moving most of my my funds in, into investments, or or at least earmark it as cash to be used in for investments in the future. So. I I'm always personally trying to build uh, more sort more sources of cash flow. Um, so right now that right now that markets aren't great, I'm sort of looking at what small businesses can I help fund that will be cash flow positive even in a even in a downturn. I think you know those are things that I constantly think about and and how I think about personal finance. I, I think a lot of people. When they think about personal finance, they're thinking about how do I cut my expenses drastically, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people who, after cutting out, you know, Starbucks from their lives, has <laughs> have substantially improved their quality of life, uh, <laughs> right? I don't think. I, I think most people, you know, think about finances in a very straightforward way. I, I don't think a lot of people are, are wasteful, right? Um, so m- my personal approach to, to to finances, instead of cutting down your expenses to the point where your life is miserable, I think, you know, that effort is much better suited in trying to find ways to, to grow your revenue, right? Yeah, I really agree to that. I, 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 I read that in a book by... Um... Um, Nick Majuli. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. His book is really, it's recent, but it's really aptly named Just Keep Buying. <laughs> but, but his point with personal finance is that you can only, you know, cut your expenses as much 
to the point you, you cannot just keep on cutting your expenses but with your you know your savings your savings rate you know your your human capital it's kind of limitless it's much much like what you said i highly agree that it's much better to just divert your energy more into finding more cash flows for your for yourself than you know focusing on so much on on cutting expenses and of course also focusing so much on investing itself because at, at at early early days you don't have that much um capital so it's kind of not really <laughs> make sense to just focus so much on investing yeah anyway just to there's another one question from them um do you think stock investing is also applicable for minimum wage earners here in the philippines that's a good question i think a lot of people in my industry would say yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm being honest with you, my answer is no. I I don't think minimum wage earners should be invested in the stock market. Uh, if if you are a long term investor, right? Let's assume you're a long term investor and you're a minimum wage earner. You ideally do not need this money, you know, today, mm-hmm. tomorrow, next month, this year, right? You as a daily wage earner are probably in very dire need of this money very immediately. So I think if you're in that kind of financial situation, you will more than likely make some poor financial decisions if you were to enter the stock market. You're going to be convinced easily to buying the next hot stock that's already up 100%. But, you know, it can go up another thousand percent, right? Or wh- whatever Facebook or these, you know, social media commentators are saying, <laughs> you know. So so I think I think me- from a mental standpoint, it really puts you at a disadvantage if you're a daily wage earner, right? So that's one side of the, that's, that's one side. The second is, I think as a daily wage earner and your goal is to increase your cash flows, I think there are higher ROI opportunities outside of the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. I, a very cliche example of that is people saying that if you're a daily wage earner, you know, and you have some spare cash, go and go in, instead of instead of buying, you know, these volatile stocks. Why don't you buy sort of, let's say, an outfit for an interview that that will make you look really good, right? You're you're gonna dress up for a job that's gonna two x your 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 salary, right? Or maybe invest that money instead in learning a skill. Yeah. I think I think that's where your money your your spare money as a daily wage earner should be going because those are way higher ROI investments in my view versus you know even blue chips. Uh, that's my opinion. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a great opinion, actually. It's it's one of this um, what you call this frauds in personal finance. That yeah, I mean, of course, um, compounding compounding works. Of course, if you start earlier, the better. But but the one thing that they don't really consider is uh, what kind of living are you on in your early days. Of course, you don't have like. In the Philippines, you don't have a million peso by the age of twenty-one. So, because that would be the more significant compounding returns than, let's say, you put in ten thousand. So, yeah, I highly agree with you that 
for minimum wage earners, they it's much better to focus on increasing their income than investing. And uh, yes, and lastly, there's one curious guy, and he is asking, what makes a day in a CEO of a stock brokerage firm different from other companies? <laughs> He's curious of your daily life. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I consider myself really lucky with my current job because I really get to shape my day the way I want it. Uh, right now, I have three. I would say I have three core responsibilities on a daily basis. Uh, first is what everyone would expect is a sort of sales and trading part of the brokerage, right? Talking to clients, keeping up with markets, reading the news. You know, that's 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 part one of my job. Um, but that's only a third. The other two thirds of it is actually what takes up the most of my time. Uh, and I would classify number two broadly as business building. Um, that's, you know, dealing with developers, find talking to suppliers, uh, really sort of dealing with the stakeholders of our company who are not our customers and are not involved in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a part of the job that I think is, you know, uh, not something that the people think of when they think of brokerage, but it's actually all sort of operationally heavy uh, and sort of IT heavy when when dealing with an online brokerage. So that's part two of three. Number three is uh, the least sexy part, and that's uh, dealing with dealing with regulation. Mm. Uh, of course, I I, th- I would imagine a, the stock brokerage industry is, you know, the the most probably the second most heavily regulated industry in the Philippines after banks. Wow, okay. right? Wow. I think basic basically every move we make, uh, given how given the size of the money that we move, you know, it's all very scrutinized. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that a lot of the, the decisions that brokers make is simply due to the regulatory environment, right? Uh, I don't know how long you've been investing, but it was not too long ago when brokers were requiring sort of physical copies of, uh, of customer account papers. And everyone online was saying, oh my God, these brokers are so stupid. Like, why don't they let us open accounts online and all this <laughs> stuff? And, you know, like a guy like me, I'm sitting here and I'm like, I'm not stupid, right? Like, of course I want you to open accounts online. Of course I want this to happen, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 25 years old. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be submitting paper, paper documents either. But, you know, uh, I think, I think the regulatory framework was still catching up with that. and. I think one of the things that that COVID did for our industry was make a massive push towards digitalization. I think we're now at a point, even on the back end, where very little stuff happens face to face or happens on a physical level. So, you know, that was a at least one positive that came out from that tragedy. But yeah, you know, that part of my job really informs everything else, right? I can't roll out a new feature or a new service or a new product uh, unless it's okay 
to to do it with the regulators so that's something that people don't appreciate enough i think well yeah that's a a really detailed (laughs) um explanation of your day but yeah we we can just uh, imagine and i hope uh, the guy that was asking is uh, satisfied with that (laughs) and the next one is this is from one of your clients in triple a he is um, asking when will there be in well uh, when will there be a triple a app that is ipad friendly <laughs> he's asking oh uh we do already have an ipad app mm. uh for 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 our application i think he may have downloaded the phone app for the ipad i'm not too sure mm, uh, okay. but an ipad app does exist like it's it's it the the view is custom for the ipad okay there's a separate app for just the ipad yeah i think it's called triple a tablet mm, okay yeah that's nice i hope he's listening to this question <laughs> but uh yeah before we go to the end you know end question that i would like to ask my guests uh, where can people you know connect more with you or if they want to follow you your work and such or yeah definitely uh you can reach me on twitter that's at wm kabangon uh not related to kabangon too much financial <laughs> not related to noel kabangon that's right uh don't expect a lot of financial advice it's a lot of me sort of uh just you know cracking jokes and making fun of scammers <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so for the like a question that I want to ask guests and I'm sorry it's kind of cliche but I'm trying my best to find the better question but question is what is happiness for you I mean what what makes you happy <laughs> it's really broad yeah you know I've had time to think about this question as my life and my career has evolved um, the biggest change for me happiness wise the single thing about my life that has made me the happiest is now having the ability to control my time. Being able to do this podcast with you, you know, at nine in the morning, mm-hmm. right? Uh, being able to, you know, uh, schedule meetings, being able to take a day off if I'm not feeling well, uh really being able to sort of take control over my life uh has really increased the level of happiness that i experience and i think you know this is something that a lot of people can achieve particularly through growing their their revenues through investments i think you know as as your portfolio matures and as your cash flows grow, it does give you a greater degree of flexibility in determining what what to do with your time, right? You can, you know, take take a part time job instead of full time, a consultancy level type of job. Uh, I think those are things that that massively improve uh, your quality of life and your overall happiness. Yeah, that's a great. Uh answer i mean of course independence should be more the the end goal not not the money itself so 
yes, thank you, um, thank you, William Kabangon, for this uh, lovely conversation you, you gave in the podcast. I hope I can have you again soon, so someday. Yeah, thanks, Ocean. Ho- hopefully, the next time on the pod, uh, the markets are doing a little bit a bit better, and we can have some fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> we can hope for that. Mm-hmm.